Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Trauma is everywhere, even in power exchange. Relationships can be traumatic, and total power exchange is no different. Healing can take years and adversely impact relationships, kink, and sex. When processing trauma, I think it's important to work through any mistaken beliefs first and to come to different conclusions about yourself before moving on. I found cognitive behavioral therapy to be helpful in changing those beliefs in myself. I also didn't find CBT healed much other than offering me some peace from the harm I was continuing to visit upon myself. When processing through the experience again, I was mindful not to overwhelm my body with the trauma I'd experienced, but rather to fill it only with the portion of the trauma that I could safely process at once, using breathing and mindfulness to help anchor myself and control the experience. Those are all skills I learned with a counselor, a somatic therapist this time. Finally, I tried to put myself in a place that was beautiful, able to stimulate me in aesthetic ways. I would often pick somewhere that smelled nice, sounded nice, looked nice, somewhere that felt transitionary or healing-y. In this case, I was trying to pick a place for Jazz Goldman, and I picked the seaside village of Steveston, British Columbia, located on Lulu Island, the main body of the city of Richmond. Jazz Goldman speaks about their journey out of a power exchange that wasn't meeting their needs, and we talk about the unspoken power dynamics that exist underneath our negotiated ones. The focus was placed on their healing, not on the podcast session, but I'm grateful we captured it for you to experience here on Intimate Interactions. Here we go! A riveting walk down the stairs. Yeah. Well, where are we we going to go? Where are we going? To the car! And where are we going from the car? To the Stevenson area. To the yes, to Stevenson, the, the fishing village of Stevenson in Richmond, British Columbia. Yeah, not Stevenson, 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 Stevenson. It's okay. You're from the much cooler place of New York, so I think you get a pass on that. <laughs> okay. We are here at the car. Yay! So this is going to require a lot more consideration in terms of editing because I've never done something like this before. But that's okay. That's the whole point of editing. And the whole point of doing experimental episodes is trying to get this material that is hard and that challenges me as a person producing this content. Wow, there's even music and everything. I really didn't think about the environments I'd be in. Okay, so we're in the car. Yeah. I'm super interested in recording this episode 
about power dynamics and talking about some of the unspoken power dynamics that we have in society and how they impact us in our lives. Specifically, when we try and do any kind of relationship, but power exchange relationships especially, how do all of the other kinds of power then royally fuck us up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm super interested to hear about your experience, Jazz, as a black Jewish femme that's non-binary. <laughs> and a switch. <laughs> and a switch. But specifically, your experiences in power exchange where you were really new, which also meant you did what a lot of new power exchange players do, which is fall into more of the bottomy or submissive role. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to talk about experience in kink and how inexperience versus internationally experienced slash long-term experience could cause um, a power dynamic and what the consequences might be of that? Yeah, well, the first thing that occurs to me is, um, like, the saying, you don't know what you don't know. So if we're talking about two people, one of whom has a lot of experience and the other one doesn't, then that is immediately a power dynamic because one person does know, actually. Like, is experienced in nuance right. that the other person just can't have. So... I mean, a lot of people in the BDSM community go back and forth on this about, like, who's more responsible then and, like, are tops more responsible, like, all these kinds of things. But uh, that aside, just one experienced person, one inexperienced person, yes. The one with, with more experience does have more power because of knowledge in a really fundamental, basic kind of way. Um So what that means is that in addition to any other axes of power, they Mm -hmm. have that in addition, you know? Right. Um, So if we're talking about inexperienced jazz, black, Jewish, femme, um, who's switch and knows this very early on, um, then because of power dynamics, I ended up almost exclusively bottoming. Mm -hmm. Even when I was engaging with other people that weren't like primary kink play partners uh it just it felt like there was this 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 uh path that was already laid out and and it was so clear for me to see how i could explore how i could learn to bottom better all these sorts of things were laid out in front of me um and the and that was not true for topping like I'm not I can't even remember the first time I saw a real femme top in action. Probably not until I went to Dark Odyssey, which was like I don't know, I guess that was the beginning of my kink exploration, but I saw this person like at a group event, you know, for a couple of days and then never again and so went right back to seeing only mask um folks in that role. I mean, uh, I think that with kink the intersection that did the worst for me was was along gender as opposed to racial lines because a lot of tops I found are afraid of doing race things wrong in a way that they're not afraid of doing gender things wrong right right there's just more 
self-consciousness around that. I've never had anyone try to just spring race play on me, for example. Right. Never, you right. know. Um, whereas with being submissive or bottoming, right. it was essentially forced on me. Like, right. I consented to most of the ways that I engaged in those acts, but the framework was forced on me. Right. You know? Um, so I think because because kink's legacy is so tied in with patriarchy and the military, um, that the, the lasting effect of that is, is that it's a community that runs along stereotypical normative gender lines. Right. When you say runs along, you mean how relationships are dictated rather than who does the actual running? Or do you mean people that occupy positions of power tend to be traditionally privileged people? I meant both. I was thinking the former, but the latter is also really true. Yeah, people in traditional roles of power tend to occupy them, you know, right. and maintain them. Um, but the other, the other idea of that two people are walking along in a script that was created outside of them is also what I meant by that. Right. So we find ourselves as masks and frems interacting in these traditional gender dynamics. Right. Even if, like, for example, the, my first uh, kink romantic partnership was with a bisexual person. So in theory, there should have been some fluidity there around gender expectations because I wasn't with a man who couldn't see himself uh, submitting, so, so to speak. Like, whether that was literally, like, pegging or, or doing a kink thing that was submitting. Like, in theory, he's someone who could see himself doing that. He would talk about it, even. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it just, it didn't happen. Or if it did, mm -hmm. it was like this once-in-a-blue-moon thing, and I was often so nervous and so, like, not prepared for all of the feelings that come up when you're topping and, and the responsibility and all of it. Like I just, so I couldn't even embody the experience as I truly wanted to, because it was so freaking out of the ordinary and not supported or reinforced mm -hmm. outside of those, you know, one-off times. Yeah. So in terms of racial identity, you don't feel, do you, do you feel like that still impacts that? Like, do you still feel like racial identity has an impact? Or do you just feel like when you were talking earlier about gender having a bigger impact, you were talking about your specific situation? Yeah, very much talking about my specific situation and thinking more about it. The ways that race that has impacted kink for me are, it's less about the experience I've ha experiences I've had and more about the ones that I couldn't have. Right. So the impact in that way is more like there's just a huge swath of people that I can never play with because I don't trust them about race because the, right. because a vast majority of people in the kink communities that I've come across are fucking white and normative and often wealthy and you know in 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 environments where they're not interacting with race regularly like there's a cluelessness that I experience too <laughs> I totally just stalled the car. That's so embarrassing. I don't know. It's pretty cute. I can't even drive a manual. That's like the second time that I've stalled a car, like, in the last, like, 14 months. 
<laughs> right. And, you know, you're multitasking right now. I Although know. I'm holding the recorder, so there are two hands on the wheel. That is true. That is true. Or at least or one hand on the wheel and one on the stick shift. See? I really don't know anything about manual. Right in front of me, watching the stick get moved, I'm like, two hands. And it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so that's how it's come up for me with race. Um, and it's different for other people. Like... I, I met someone years back who got to a point where they're like, I actually won't play in public in a submissive role as a person of color with white people because I don't know what those strangers are thinking when they're looking at me and I don't want to participate in anything like that. Yeah. Anything that might like encourage normative, stereotypical or otherwise racist belief systems. Precisely. Yeah. And at the time, my uneducated ass was like, oh, but you know, you just don't, don't let those people stop you. And now I like walk into most kink events and don't want to play with anyone because of my own things that I've had to come to around that and just making changes and choices for my own emotional safety. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. So I'm also curious about the piece of not being believed if something goes wrong as a person from a marginalized community. Do you think race could have played a role in terms of your likelihood of feeling like people would really care about your opinion or believe you when you had to speak about stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's not something I would have thought about that plainly until somewhat recently, but I think as many black people do, I have spent a lifetime carrying around an understanding of the world that is that. That is like, yeah, people are not gonna listen to me very well. They're not gonna believe me the first time I say things. I'm gonna be expected to prove myself to, in ways that are above and beyond what, what a white peer would have to. Um, I was naive enough when I did my kink experiences to actually not consider what if they did something that I felt I needed to speak up about. Right. Particularly with the first relationship, with the more, with, with the most recent um, play, kink play partner that I had. Um, I did start to think along those lines, but... I was still just trusting. I don't know. I was just, I just believed that they wouldn't hurt me. So I could trust them, which was just so dumb based on evidence in front of my face. But, you know. <laughs> it's also really human. Like, that's really normal. That's what a lot of folks that are new at Power Exchange expect when they come into the scene, I think. Yeah, and I mean, with I wasn't new when when I met up with the second person that, that was a West Coast lover, um, I wasn't new, but I had been out of it for a while, and the person I'd been with before didn't set up good foundations. <laughs> right, right. So I actually thought I was m not more experienced, like I had the experiences I had, but I thought I was more savvy, I guess, than I really was. And, and yeah, yeah. And, and this person went out of their way to make themselves appear trustworthy and safe and like somebody who, um, who you could count on to not fuck you over. Turned yeah. out to be a really good ruse. <laughs> so in terms of how these power dynamics impacted you, gender, 
inexperience, things like race, how would you, what advice would you give people who are currently like navigating those types of power dynamics? What would you tell people who are starting relationships where they're noticing that these type of non-negotiated power dynamics already pre-exist the power dynamic they want to negotiate? Uh, I think one of the best things you can do is try to find kink friends because we don't live in a culture where it's easy to readily talk about kink experiences in a safe way Um, or even if it is safe to talk to a person they're maybe just so removed from that community that they can't really offer emotional intelligence Um, so I think it's really important if you're starting an intimate romantic relationship that's kinky really make sure you can find some peers because one of the best ways to parse out what's happening is to be able to talk about it if you're new just talking through what has happened is often the best way to get some clarity especially Mm -hmm. with a sounding board Mm -hmm. so like don't let yourself become isolated in the relationship that's another way of putting it like it's really important to have community in kink and it's so easy to go the opposite direction and just a hole up with your top and um get completely engulfed in this private world where there's no perspective um and no yeah no perspective (laughs) yeah yeah i think you really struck on the value of social support how incredibly important social support is on helping give you that idea of like what what is acceptable or if you are struggling in a certain way to empower you with that confidence of being able to say I don't actually like this part of what we do and I'd like to do all of this stuff except this one part it's so easy especially in power exchange I have I found for people to sort of see it as being a package that has to be inherited wholesale And as a relationship anarchist, I like, I really don't like that. I think power exchange, like anything, is something you negotiate and you choose what you want to do. That's just my take. Yeah. No, I mean, that's why it's an exchange. Right. And ideally, like we we use certain words in the kink world for a reason. And just the, the reality of humans and society and culture, we deviate from those intentions a lot but yeah ideally it's an exchange regardless of whether one person in the exchange is always in charge of what the exchange looks like quote unquote um yeah i mean and that's like the whole thing about um bottoming from the top too like there there's power in every role in every you know expression of these roles hmm so I'm, I'm curious about, I mean, I guess you kind of ex- answered the why question I was going to ask, but I was going to ask sort of like, why does gender impact so strongly when we talk about power dynamics? You said because of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping you might be willing to go into a little more detail with that. Okay. Well, my understanding of the origins of the modern American BDSM scene is that it came out of the West Coast um, post-military world. That there were there was a community of 
largely cis men who were gay, who, um, fought, uh, what's the word, who continued on a lot of the protocols and customs of the military and funneled it through the lens of bond and dominance, submission and sadism and masochism. I'm missing one. Bondage discipline. Discipline, thank you. I always forget one of the words. It's very, very annoying. Like, literally, unless I've rehearsed what I'm... Okay, anyway. You're good, you're good. (laughs) You're good. Yeah, Um, all of those things. I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to ask you so much a history of... No, 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 that's fine, but that's, that's why I say patriarchy, because the military is one of the grossest examples of patriarchy uh run wild like uh, where we are in the world with with wars and violence and whatnot stem from militaristic patriarchal um practice right they're very hierarchical they're very um masculine driven in the values that they sort of prize so if we have a, a lifestyle or a subculture, depending on how you want to call it, that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can just, like even if you go decades and decades into the future from that beginning point, it's not as if you can just take that essence out. Right. It continues on. So that's why I think we have so many tops, you know, and not enough like subs that are femmes so many mask tops and not enough femme tops like they're out there now and the world has changed a lot and you know people like Midori exist and and many other folks who have shown us a new way you know but um but there I would say there's still exceptions to the community of tops yeah I would say that the community is by and large you could I guess say het normative in that it mm-hmm. follows the typical power that's assumed in hegemonic gender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to go outside now, um, which means it's going to be windy. So what I would say, Jazz, if you would, um, you're going to want to direct the microphone pretty much straight at your face mm-hmm. when you are speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so then the question I would ask you to answer next is to talk about when did you first realize, when did you first suspect your power exchange might not be the one you wanted to be in or might not even be healthy? Mm-hmm. God. Yeah, hard, hard topic. So, I mean, this is a lot of why I kind of wanted to frame the patriarchy stuff first. Right. Because... I honestly knew that some things were not working about my first uh, kink partnership pretty early on, like before we got serious, essentially, when we were still in the fun experimental phase and like, oh, you haven't tried these things. What do you think about this? Let's do that. Like, there were a couple of things that that my man at the time was like, I love this shit. And I was like, "Mm." and instead of having the confidence to be like, no, that's not for me. Um, I wanted to appease. And so I just was like, just try, stick it out. You know, you don't like, you don't know how you feel about something when you're brand new to it, et cetera, et cetera. And all of these thought processes were deeply influenced by my experience of gender (laughs) and like how I was brought up in the world. Um, So like I knew right away (laughs) in many ways and 
Um, I just wasn't able to listen to myself strongly. And so then what happened is I like kind of had to break my brain. I didn't think about it in those terms at the time, but that's exactly how I characterize it now. And basically for always, I had to break my brain to make myself like a thing I didn't like. Because you can't actually make yourself like a thing you don't like, which is why my brain broke. And I ended up being um, like a classic sort of hapless sub who like really couldn't function. Um, and so <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're getting these messages of like, I don't like this, it doesn't matter how much you like that person or how much you really want other experiences that are related you gotta you gotta listen to yourself as soon as you know um in the in the second relationship the more recent one i i honestly didn't know until way after um and that was because i honestly just my my top was just really skilled so um he was able to curate experiences more holistically um which can make it seem like the whole thing is better than it is essentially you know he was a wealthy guy and had a nice place and all this equipment etc so like um so i got kind of swept up i suppose and he was so experienced and i was so excited to be with someone who knew a lot that yeah it just it totally that plus other things going on in my life, obviously, <laughs> led me to just not see it for what it was, not recognize how many times he was pushing me or like having me do things that I told him I didn't really like. Right. <laughs> because he was really skilled at mixing them in with lots of other things that right. were new and novel. I see, I see, I see. Mm -hmm. So because it was mixed in with experiences that you did want to have, it was easier to quote unquote get away with or to sort of slip in experiences that maybe were not to your liking. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And easier for me to miss that that was happening altogether. Because I would right. look back and be like, the whole thing was pretty cool and sort of gloss over the parts, which is bad, you know? And I, it's like, I think, I think it takes a lot of fortitude to engage safely in, in kink. And if you're in a place where you're not re really stable emotionally, like just another cool ass kinkster will come along to make your fantasies come true. Like right. they're not like the person in front of you is not the last chance. Right. So, yeah. So one thing I do want to bring up, one thing I do want to bring up is that we are here in the fishing village of Steveston. And I did this specifically because I know that these, that this topic specifically and ones like it can be triggering and they can elicit trauma responses. And it's really easy when you have the fresh sea breeze on your face and there's beautiful sun like there is right now. You'll notice all of the colors on the houses. Mm -hmm. You can hear the seagulls. There's really good smell of food wafting through the air definitely bonus this is, didn't think about that at all this is the miniature sausalito as it were it is the tiny you know like you go down there and you get like 
random stuff, art, artisanal breads and like olive oils and like highly expensive teas and like, <laughs> you know, model train parts and stuff. It's very much that like, that curated, very touristy part of the city. Yeah. Um, although I suppose Vancouver has Granville Island as well, which is more like that. Mm-hmm. Point I'm getting at is that it's a lovely place to be and it's a really good place to ground yourself because there's lots of color and smell and sound. And when you're dealing with stuff that could potentially be traumatic, it's really important to do it in a way that is how we say titrated. Yeah. Which is to say that you never bring up, when you're trying to sort of process through and deal with stuff, that we don't bring up more than our body can physiologically hold. Mm -hmm. Because if you bring up too much stuff too quickly, you can overwhelm your nervous system and end up just finding the experience re-traumatizing or at best neutral. Yeah, and it it disrupts any of your goals around even engaging with the subject again. Like, that's the whole reason to be kind to your body, (laughs) so that you can actually move through and have the experiences you want to. Um, We had planned to do this podcast a couple weeks ago, and when the day came to it, I was like, I don't know how I'll be afterwards, so I can't really, like, commit to doing it today. And right. then you had the good idea of taking us to a nice place um, when we did figure out the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are in this nice place where you can kind of just revisit the same sort of traumatic memories or narrative or experiences. And you get to do it in a way where the narrative structure might stay the same in your brain because when brains recall memories they also rewrite memories they fill in any of the details that are missing and it's really important when we're rewriting our traumatic memories to do it with the narrative elements as closely in line as possible probably but maybe even that's not necessary Um, but the most important thing i think is to take a lot of the traumatic um, volume or intensity of those emotions out of the equation um, this is this is like, I think, central to several schools of therapy, but I can't tell you which ones right now. But yeah, this idea of sort of processing trauma can mean like experiencing the emotions, thanking the parts of you that kept you safe, like maybe apologizing when you didn't listen before, and just acknowledging that protest that might still be alive in you, and then sort of moving through that ideally. And I think that's done in stages, honestly. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll definitely be thinking about the way I answered these questions after we finish this podcast. And the just saying, saying out loud, you know, I knew right away. It's maybe the first time I've said that out loud. I've definitely had that thought already because I've dug into that first relationship quite a bit, you know. Um, I don't even feel the same kind of anger and charge with that guy as I do with the most recent one who is... It's painful for me not to name them. <laughs> I'm being very good right now because yeah, you are. That's not what this is about. But no. I'm actually still mad enough at that person that I want to. It's not in my code, so I'm not going to do it. Right. But, but that's good. Like the fact that you're able to identify that it's not who you want to be as a person. That those aren't actions that you want to take. And the fact that you can be honest and just be like, I'm really fucking angry about this. That's powerful and that's important. It's part of healing. Yeah, it feels good to say. Do you want to go sit on a bench over there? Yes. Okay. We're walking to the bench. And getting getting lots of friendly stares from people because I have a 
giant headphones on right now. They stick out very far on, on the top and sides of my head. And the microphone that I'm holding is fuzzy. So everyone's like, WTF? But it's really pretty right now. We're kind of walking through the parking lot right up to the edge of the boardwalk. And there are ships. Do you know what kind of ships they are? Um, I mean, there, a lot of them are fishing ships. There, okay. will be, there will be a lot of boats that actually sell fish right down on the wharf. I guess some of these are yachts, though, right? Is that true? Probably. There probably are a lot of pleasure boats in this marina as well. That's totally what we should only call yachts, pleasure boats. <laughs> Want to sit? Mm-hmm. They recently painted, so we, we know that. Yeah, there's wet paint signs everywhere, and they have roped off all the areas that they've painted. Can we switch sides? We can. That's my bad shoulder. It doesn't like to be squeezed as much. Oh, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. So, yeah, so we're talking about how lovely this place is, and we're also talking about experiences that you're working through and processing, knowing that you're in a safe space to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have more questions? Yeah, there are more questions. How are you doing? I'm good. How's it feeling talking about this? It's more emotional than I thought, but, you know, I'm up for it. That's not me crying, though. The wind is blowing, so my nose got a little stuffy. I mean, you have the monitor headphones on, so you'll be able to know if you are comprehensible, but you might want to speak directly into the mic and louder. Okay, I can hear myself really well. I find that the playback is never as good as the monitor headphones. Because okay. <laughs> if you can like discern yourself barely, mm-hmm. it's like when someone's trying to listen to it, they're gonna have such, it's so much easier to hear yourself when you're the one speaking because you know what you're saying. Yeah, it's true, it's true, it's true. Uh-huh, but I also understand that the priority here isn't the recording quality, in fact, it is <laughs> the quality of your experience. Which, I mean, I'm, I'm a musician. The sound quality matters to me, too. It's part of the, the thing. Like, why would we bother with a recording if it's unlistenable? Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I'll keep talking into the mic. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, how did you end up disengaging from that power exchange relationship? Well, see, that's the other thing that is frustrating about both of those dudes is that they dumped me. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about reasons why you got dumped? <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Um, the first time I got dumped, I think, because my partner was not the right partner for me. And he figured that out before I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that he... Um, He couldn't deal with the level of accountability that I required in relationships, um, which was, like, separate from our kink stuff. But there was just a certain amount of, like, I expected to be able to talk about his behavior (laughs) and reflect it back to him and see improvements and changes. And he was not actually up for that because of his control issues Um, and a lot of his kink I believe was motivated by a need for control that not in the kinky way like in the life way right 
because um, wanting control in a kink dynamic is totally cool. Right. And being desirous of that in your life as expressed through kink is totally fucking cool. The same way it's okay to want to be controlled by like putting yourself through boot camp or whatever. Like mm-hmm. There are many ways to experience and like create controlling environments that are not inherently bad. Mm-hmm. But this, this man in particular was needed to control everything about his life, including the people in it. And when they couldn't be controlled, like I was so upset by how dysfunctional our relationship was that I was super depressed. I was crying a lot when he would travel on business. I like couldn't function and want to talk to him, you know, multiple times a day and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, he just wasn't having it. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any bandwidth for it. Even though, I mean, it's it's like we both did the relationship together, but, like, the things that broke my brain were things that he demanded. And right. he wasn't he wasn't there for, like, if I'd been able to articulate, hey, I think these are things that are damaging me. Like, right. I don't really think he would have been here for that. Interesting. But, it, but it's still, I mean, it's... I do my best to give even the people that don't feel like it's worth being charitable to the benefit of the doubt. And for things that I didn't ask for, sometimes I'm very angry about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can give this unnamed fellow benefit of the doubt. That's totally fine. I know that the Mm. way he was with me in relationship was nearly identical to how he was with the last partner. Right. And that didn't end well either. He more or less did the same thing twice expecting different results and that kind of also ties into an idea of knowing what you know i couldn't have known that right i didn't get information about his former partnerships you know right away i got it piecemeal over time right he already fucking knew um interesting yes so we're talking very we're talking about an onus of responsibility based on okay interesting Yeah. yeah yeah and the same is true for the more recent fellow Mm-hmm. But worse so because um, because of his line of work, let's just say. I see, I see. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, the other the other guy was was a layperson, so to speak. Right. Um, wasn't yeah. Wasn't in a field of any kind connected to right. the uh, the to... lifestyle that he was engaging in. Right. Right. This is good, right? You see how I, I haven't I, said what he does. I'm, even I'm super impressed by you right now. That is that is really <laughs> impressive. In fact. You were so good that when you were talking about the first guy, I thought you were talking about the second guy. Oh. Which is which is fine. That's where it gets confusing. I probably should have come up with pseudonyms. No, honestly, it's better this way. Um, because who the people are really doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, what matters is talking about the experience and being able to share what was harmful and why. Even if you were literally giving this recording to the people in question, who they are Ooh, really doesn't matter. That's an interesting idea. That could well, be such a good burn. Because only they would know. I could totally send this to them one day. I like that you see it as a burn because I would see it as helping them have meaningful relationships (laughs) and improving themselves. And I would see it as helping all the people they're going to be in relationship with that might still be receiving residual (laughs) elements of these ideas or patterns of behavior. Like presumably these people are working on themselves. And maybe that's why I see it as a burn, though. Victor. Because, because they'll look back on it and well, be because like, they'll listen to this and be like, Psh, you know, like, oh, they're just talking shit about me instead of like actually listening deeply to what's being said in like the whole context of the conversation. Right. Which is the only way to listen to this recording, in my opinion. Like, what's the point of listening to a recording that you think is just someone 
trying to take the piss out of you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, ultimately, if you're going to listen to the recording, and if you are, and you are one of the people in question, kudos to you for even making it this far. Yeah, you can, you have permission to reach out to me if you've done that, because I'm just curious to see that you actually gave that much of a fuck. <laughs> But not if someone else told you that we put this message in here. Yeah. You have to discover it honestly on your own. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's part of changing, of, of improving yourself and of sort of being willing to be honest about harm without even necessarily shaming yourself. Even if other people are like, you should have fucking known better and they are shaming you. Like to be able to look at yourself with a critical lens and be like, yeah, I really fucked these things up and I'm not going to do that moving forward. Or at least I'm going to commit to doing that less. Like. I think that's the best any human can hope for. It's just being a little bit less harmful every day you're on this planet. I know. I think that's definitely the goal. And I, I suppose my, my bias with these two individuals is that they didn't demonstrate when I was near them right. the ability to do that. what you just described, like grow. Yeah. Literally, and- they refused to grow. And one of them I would happily call a man-child on, on and on. I love how you're like, I won't say which. Yeah, I won't say which. I'm keeping this as anonymous as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I understand that frustration all too well, just as a human being that's in, been in lots of relationships, even where there's been disagreements. And my former partners would understand your frustration all too well also. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of them, and I have had former partners be like, what do you mean you don't hold that belief anymore? Like, you refused to give that up for years Ooh. while we were together. Ooh. And I'm like, yep. And they're like, and you just changed your mind? And I'm just like, yep. They're like, one day you just changed your mind? And I was like, yep. And they were like, God damn it. Like, just so bitter that they, like, vehemently tried to get me to see a perspective. And I was just too pig-headed and stubborn, arrogant even, mm-hmm. about these positions where I was like, no, I just believe this thing. And it's like, if someone else had come along and said that, I might have taken it to heart even then, Mm -hmm. but because they were my partner, it was really hard to hear certain feedback. That's, yeah, that happens, and that's true. And these people also have decades on you. Yeah, that's true. Both of them. Yeah, fair enough. I didn't know that, but yes, fair enough. Yeah. I wish I could say how many decades just (laughs) to make more burns, but I'm not. Well, and we don't want to be ageist either. There are plenty of older players in the scene that are really experienced and that give really wonderful experiences to younger individuals who may may be newer. Yeah, word. I love fucking older people. I've made a habit of it even. You're on the young end for me. How much much older than you am I? Am I older than you? Like two years. That's nothing. I don't count that. I'm 31 going on 32 and you're... 32 going on 33. Right. (laughs) So there's like no age difference, Pharaoh. There's like one year. So clearly, I'm your senior by one year. <laughs> oh, gosh, this idea of growing. That was when I got my first clue about the second fella, the more recent one, that things were not working. Mm-hmm. Was He was presented with a very bang-over-the-head situation that was asking him to learn, to learn a lot from his previous behavior. Right. And um, he didn't. Sometimes it takes a relationship ending... And it takes people being like, you're an asshole and I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And then people go, what the fuck is wrong with you? And at a certain point, they find themselves with fewer friends and they go, did I do something wrong? And it's like, until the possibility enters their head, they can't start the work. Yeah, and, and that's like, that happened and that he still, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying so hard to give these people an out. I know, I know. And I'm trying so hard to fairly represent them. 
Oh, I appreciate what you did there. <laughs> All right. So if we... they had grown, I would be so happy to say that if I'd yeah. seen that demonstration. Oh, yeah, especially with the second person um, because of their positionality in community. Yeah. Status I was, is, is I was important. desperately hoping and, and trying to actively support in the ways that I thought were appropriate at the time that growing and learning, you know, mostly through conversation. But when you find someone repeatedly just turning back to the idea of but I'm not this kind of person or you know uh, that's part of the shame dynamic that ultimately works against you though because mm -hmm. if you have all of these heavy-handed judgments about people who are like that then you clearly couldn't be a person like that and it stunts you like it prevents you from growing whereas if people like that are really just people who have made bad choices or people who have been harmful unintentionally even it's so much easier to be able to say i didn't mean to but clearly my behavior had the impact of being harmful regardless and i can own that and i can work on having less impact on people because you know that whole the road to hell is paved with good intentions mm -hmm. you know that that axiom comes from somewhere and it comes from this idea that like saying you had the best of intentions doesn't change the harm you've had on people's lives right right and i think it's a better one than by any means necessary or like not excuse me the ends justify the means like sure like i think that needs to die and what you just said needs to be raised up <laughs> more and more forever until we can like collectively as a species do a better job and like rebalance the ledgers of harm versus not harm yeah yeah because i think a lot of the time even some of the more harmful people genuinely don't want to be harmful people or maybe they just see they have fall into that very human trap all human must be exact all humans must be exactly like me right which i fall into all the time too it's not like i'm above that but it's that that trope of sort of assuming that things that aren't a problem for you aren't a problem for others or that if they are a problem for them they shouldn't be and when you start throwing in the non-negotiated power dynamics in society you run into that like head-on over and over again where people in more privileged positions don't know what they don't know they haven't had the experience of being racialized or of being famine or of being you know etc 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 and you get to this place where they just don't understand what life is like for you at all, so they can't accurately predict your behavior or how their behavior is going to impact you. Just my thoughts. Yep. Yep. But there's hope. <laughs> I, can, I can see the, like, dejected look right now, and, and all I can say is maybe I'm saying too much too quickly, and maybe it's worth taking a second to just kind of breathe check in with your body yeah remember that you're with people that care about you <sighs> especially this one <laughs> it it helps a lot to talk about this with like an arm around my shoulder yeah the wind blowing you can smell the sea mm-hmm it's not a very sea strong smell though it must be about the wind direction or something it's probably because we're in an estuary so there's lots of fresh water flowing into the salt water, so you don't get the same smell. Uh, yeah, it's like light salt smell. Yeah. I think it's rather pleasant. Oh, I love it. 
I love salt smell on the air. I love Me the beach. Me too. Yeah, like the more salty, the better. That's why I was like, this isn't very salty. It's, it's because of Vancouver Round. It's kind of like um, like downtown Seattle as well, mm. except this isn't really a downtowny area, so it doesn't have quite the um, the industry sure. that like um, False Creek would have or that like downtown Seattle, that yeah, waterfront. Yeah, it's more like a beach town kind of feel. Yeah, it's, like, it's a seaside town, definitely. Right, yeah, seaside, not beach. Yeah, I mean, I conflate them so much though because this just looks a lot like the beach town um, that I spent time in as a kid in New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. I guess growing up in New York, you would have had your ways of escaping to beaches elsewhere. Is that what is that all New Jersey is to you, Jazz? Just the state that happens to have some beaches you go to? Basically, yeah. New Jersey is Cape May in my mind, which is the place <laughs> that my grandparents had a house for most of my childhood, and we went there every summer, and it was great. And then you fled New Jersey to come back to New York? No, I lived in New York that whole time. We would just right. visit. Got you. I like how you're clear. Like, I didn't just flee New Jersey. I literally never lived there because, yeah. you know, because New Jersey. Yeah, because, ugh. <laughs> Love how much judgment New Yorkers have over people from New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, the New Jerseyites know it. It's a clear thing. <laughs> it's not like a secret. Right, right. So to the New Jersey people who might one day listen, you're right. <laughs> Your state sucks. <laughs> I, I take, I mean, you know, the, the viewpoints expressed by Jazz do not, do not reflect... <laughs> The viewpoints of me, Victor, You don't have Orbit to go down with my polarizing statement about New Jersey. Because <laughs> that's the polarizing statement that would totally destroy me. Uh, yeah. Honestly, I think everything's going to be okay. I mean, I know it is now because I would never engage in those ways again. And, like, it just couldn't happen. You know, I, right. I learned the hard way, but I learned... I learned a lot about what I need and like what my thresholds are and how I want to push them if I want to push them. Right. Because like previously I, I would only be pushed if someone else was pushing me. I didn't right. know how to do it for myself. Right. And that's not true anymore. <sighs> I find seagulls so relaxing. I like, find seagulls just make me think of the Little Mermaid. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting how some people find seagulls really irritating, but I think if you grew up by the sea, they just sound like home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty used to pigeons as a New Yorker. They're irritating sometimes, but mostly I'm just like, aw, where's the bird of my city? Yes, the trash doves. Because they're basically the same species, if not the exact same species. As? They're doves and doves and pigeons. Yeah. They're very, very closely related. Yeah. So I like to call pigeons trash doves because then they can kind of like float on the cachet of the noble animal of peace. Mm-hmm. Is it sort of like calling target target? Probably. Oh, oh, shoot. There was something I was thinking mosquito of. Mosquito bit me. No. I don't even know how that's possible With in this wind. With the wind. Oh, no. I don't know how that's possible in this wind. Anyways. I also don't know how it's possible you got bit before me. Well, I'm also kind of like around you and holding you. You protected me from even the mosquito. Aw, that's a sweet way to frame it. <laughs> I want to talk about healing. How has, your, how has your journey been since you disengaged in coming to terms, firstly, with what actually happened, right? Because, like, denial is the first thing you have to disassemble before you try to reconstruct your trauma into an Ikea desk out of the parts. 
Yeah, yeah, I was devastated by both dumpings, even though I should have been jumping for joy. Mm-hmm. I should have been like, praise the Lord for finding me a way out of this nonsense that was so bad for me. Right. And instead, I was devastated, particularly with the second one to the point that, well, I mean, there were a lot of things going on at the time. I had had a recent PTSD diagnosis, like within two months of being broken up with this person. And that coupled with the 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 reality of he really didn't give a shit and like completely left me high and dry as a human being after our relationship even though he fucking said he wouldn't he was like yeah we'll stay in touch kind of thing and then like hardcore ghosted and very quickly you know there wasn't even like a trickle you know it was like one or two messages of like let's make some plans and then no fucking response for years like one time I got mad and wrote a ranty email that was like oh, I'm mad about these things and then I got a response from him you know it's just like didn't even have the decency to return my shit like I had to follow up two years later because it honestly took me a long time to get over the second one um, and I still like he knew that he had my shit and he knew that I wanted it back and just didn't bother and then I finally healed enough to be like give me my stuff (laughs) and then he did and still wrote a weak ass email along with it that demonstrated to me at least and maybe I was reading too far into it but it demonstrated to me that he still hadn't learned why it was that things were bad right like as in there's still you don't think there was the perception of like what was so terrible for you about that relationship? Like, you don't feel like that was understood? No, because uh, this person is still completely wrapped up in their ownness about the whole thing, about themselves. You know, it was like a message that was basically like, um, I'm sorry, I couldn't do for you kind of thing, which is like still about him. Right. <laughs> in right. a really fundamental way. Like it still centers like them and their their regrets. Yeah. Of what they did or whether what they weren't able to do, not about what they chose to do. Right. Yeah. It was about what they could. It was like I couldn't live up to, you know, your needs kind of thing. Such, such bullshit. Interesting. I'm glad that I wasn't in a more delicate place when right. I when I finally reached out because I just don't think I could have handled that response mm-hmm. previously. Um, so some things... Healing, yeah. Yeah, some things about healing. I mean, you know, taking time off from the community is, is, is usually a good idea because the communities are still so full of all the bullshit things that we talked about earlier in the episode. Like, you're just leaving yourself open for more hurt, even if you're not... Um, engaging with an individual person like sometimes just being in the kink community can be hard as a femme Mm -hmm. as a black person etc yeah like even if there is no major thing you're healing from just existing as one minority let alone as an intersection of many minorities can be very difficult in a community that still holds a lot of those um gendered ideas and a lot a lot of racist ideas in my opinion right so if you're healing from an actual breakup taking yourself out of that environment's not a bad thing. Um, and it's just definitely what I did. Um, and it's, it's funny, like, yeah, I think the two main healing things besides being in therapy and learning more about myself 
and taking responsibility for the for my own actions that led me to these places and to these people um getting back into the community is also just as important like reclaiming your kink um and finding people who will engage with you in ways that are uplifting for your kink expression um is so vital and like i would say that uh some some of the healing is more recent because i was honestly so so wary of playing with kinksters that just it has happened a lot less frequently mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah I mean I don't know there's just something really special about taking some time off being very intentional and mindful with who you then choose to engage with and then going for it like yeah. really just digging into the stuff that you know you like the stuff you knew you liked before that person came along you know um or there's the thing you can do where you actually go into expressions that were very much the things you did and rewrite them. Right. You know, just be like, yeah, the last time I was suspended, it was because of all this bullshit. And then find someone who will suspend you and then none of that happens. Right. Like trying to do exactly what we're doing now to re-experience something that is that was traumatic once and to essentially pull a lot of that negative intensity and emotion out of the situation so that you can get back to a place where you have at least a neutral experience. And then you can start building those positive associations and start sort of neutralizing all the negative fear and fight or flight sort of responses, those intense, like, I'm in danger threat responses, and start digging back to that core of what you found interesting or desirable about the activity to begin with. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a lot of healing is is just really believing in who you are and seeking out the things that make you thrive. Like it can be easy to especially if you're in a DS dynamic where someone is more in charge of your shit than you. Um it it can feel like you know, nothing is yours, like everything was theirs. And so as much as you can do to really tap into the stuff that you like and just like I don't know reclaim it I think I said that already I'm getting a little redundant that's okay we're at the end of my questions is there anything else you want to do you want to offer maybe a quick summary of steps for healing that's sort of that you see and and just acknowledging right now it's probably going to be incomplete because these things are very hard to do off the top of one's head yeah I mean so taking space from from the scene as it were, is, 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 I think, really powerful and important and part of the uh, phase of self-reflection that I think is really important for healing. Um, so that De- you know. dealing, with, um, dealing with sort of dismantling the narratives that sort of you've been told about a thing and sort of making up your own mind. What parts of that really ring true for you and your lived experience and what parts of that maybe missed something critical to your lived experience? Right, exactly. So taking the, that space... If you have access to therapy, go for it. It will help. I would say even if the therapist isn't kink fluent, like if they're completely kink ignorant, then that won't necessarily be helpful. But even if the therapist is no kind of an expert, but just has a good sense of how to navigate talking about power dynamics, like you'll get a lot out of it. I got a lot out of therapy when I was essentially in the demise of that first relationship I didn't know it at the time but Mm -hmm. we would talk about all kinds of things and because 
she was skilled um, as a therapist, I was able to take that and then like later add it to the arsenal of deep understanding and like processing. Um, so yeah, take your break, do some self-reflection, involve a professional if that's accessible to you. Um, and then, you know, try to re-enter the community. I would, I would even say that there is, there are degrees by which you can re-enter the community. Like maybe mm-hmm. try and touch, touch base with your social network, spend time with people. Don't let yourself become isolated when you're healing from trauma. Like mm. the most nefarious part of trauma to me is the way it damages your, your social ties with people and the way it particularly can damage and undermine your sense of hope that other people can be good people and that other people can keep you safe or can hold your well-being in any semblance of importance. It has this way of really undermining the sense of like connection and love you feel to all the people that are ironically and paradoxically the most important to your healing in my opinion. So being able to sort of reconnect with your social network, be it in the community or not, reconnecting with like a kink positive social network whether that if you're one of the very lucky people whose families are accepting of that um, or you have a good friend base outside of your traditional you know like kink scene talk to those people hang out with them it doesn't it doesn't need to look like anything it just is going to look how it's going to look but you really need to reestablish a good sense of social roots and connection with people and when you have had the break that you need from the kink scene specifically to be able to go and start start at your warmest connections there and don't be surprised when some of your lukewarm connections from before become your warmest connections moving forward sort of like very very serious and political alignments in your community around the reason why you left so I would just say, like, even though you should probably still start at your warmest connections, keep in mind that some of those may have shifted and some of the people who maybe you weren't super close with before really strongly align with your struggle and identify with it. Maybe they went through something similar. They may be a lot warmer to you now. So, yeah, I would just say re-entering community, consider it stepwise and take it slow. Be kind with yourself. All the usual cliches. They're cliches because they work, though. Not all cliches are bullshit, right? I agree. And I guess that's it. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Any advice to new folks coming in that are like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get traumatized. How do I avoid that? That's a whole other podcast. I mean, like, you can't avoid trauma because we live in a traumatic culture. But if you're trying hard to avoid it, I'd say the best way is to just shore up your own sense of self regardless of how you identify, like even if you want to be like a, a, a 24-7 slave to someone, yeah. like, it's cool. You can still have an amazing sense of fortitude and sense of self and like ability to know who you are and what you really like deep down. Like that's, that's the best way to protect yourself as Trauma a kingster. Resilience. Well, knowing thyself, like literally, right. you know, because then it's much harder to... Um, to to go against your own values. I, I if agree. you're more solid in them and have a, a strong sense of them. 
The interesting thing is they say we have absolutely no understanding as to how trauma resilience works, but I think there are a lot of accessories to trauma resilience that we do understand. Things like knowing yourself, having a sense of what your values are, having a mindfulness around how you're feeling. Even if that mindfulness is, is strictly somatic, like I know how these feelings feel in my body, or if your mindfulness is more emotional, I know what I'm feeling and I can name it. That's all extremely useful to recognizing trauma sooner and being able to be empowered and taking more steps both to limit the trauma and also, like you were saying about your sense of self, to sort of pull back to who you are and who you want to be and what you know about yourself and just be able to commit to yourself, right? Yeah. Because it is about committing to yourself. It is. Yeah, the best kink relationships will be ones where you have a strong sense of self-commitment. Yeah. To bring in something to that relationship. I think besides so. Besides just a wanton sluttishness, for, for example. Wanton sluttishness. Which is a <laughs> great place to start. Definitely. And if it's not cushioned with other things, then sometimes that can just be molded by other people. Yeah. And it's okay to be willing to change and it's Mm -hmm. okay to be willing to grow and it's okay to be willing to concede especially if you're very service oriented that can be feeding and that still is feeding your value of being of service right you know yourself well enough to be okay with conceding right because it's what you actually want to do not what you think you want to do because of someone else right and distinguishing between those two things in service is always tricky whether Mm. you're a service top or a service bottom and submission is not necessarily service at all. It can be quite different. Can have, right, we can right. have very deep-seated needs for submission that don't involve any service. It's like, no, I'm going to submit this way on my own fucking terms because I know that's what I want. And I'm not interested in changing anything about that because that's not what submission looks like to me. Yeah. You can have a totally fuck you submissive that is like, this is how it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not topping from the bottom. That's negotiating well. Yeah. Topping from the bottom is bratting your way to the relationship you want without consent of your top. There's nothing wrong with being a brat, but if you're doing it without consent, there's something wrong there, possibly. Maybe. I've thought about it more as like if you're ongoing engaging in that dynamic, like being a brat to get what you want. One off is not necessarily going against mm-hmm. consent, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if that's how you only get what you want consistently then yeah it's not real communication or it's not healthy communication i mean it's not it's not direct it's not empowering the the top i'll I'll say i'll say that it's not direct communication Mm -hmm. and that for some pairs bratting your way to what you want can work for them sure because they both happen to sort of communicate in that they both read those cues extremely well Uh uh-huh i think it's dangerous to assume your top is going to read those cues well and i think it's dangerous to assume it won't be harmful to your top Hmm. Hmm. And I think part of developing a better kink world is going to include like looking more holistically at topping in that way. Yeah, definitely. TLDR, it's all really complicated. The world is shit, but there is still some hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that is the summary of this episode, folks. <laughs> Thank you for recording this with me here, Jazz. You're welcome. We can debrief after we turn the mic off, or we can leave the mic on for debriefing. What are you thinking? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy to keep it on. All right. Because if there's anything good to pull, I don't know. Sure, sure. How are you How are you feeling right now? I feel pretty tired. Yeah. Um, which I think is, like, 
one of the things my body does after revisiting hard stuff that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a bad or extreme response. But yeah, I feel I feel tired and brain foggy. Um, I feel like there's so much I didn't say. We didn't really talk about dual relationships, but I don't think I can without blowing up one of those guys. Yeah, that's fair. Um, which, I mean... <sighs> I mean, you have a different perspective on this because of your life experiences and current things. This this guy has, is public enough and, like, his fuck-ups are public enough that, like, I'm not sure that anything I would have said more explicitly would really be talking out of turn. It would just be kind of like... Oh, this is this is the person that we already know about. Yeah, the, the local guy. Yeah, no, I, I know which one you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think ultimately it's not going to be productive. Yeah. I think the best the best healing is is going to unfortunately be healing you do without that individual. As as is usually the case, but occasionally you get really lucky and the person that harm that's really has harmful behavior towards you is just able to own it and sort of handle it with a lot of grace and you're sometimes able to get the closure you want in conversations and through changes that they consensually make to their own behavior. Like, that's restorative, that's transformative when you get to experience that. But we unfortunately don't live in a world where that's the expectation culturally. So I'm hearing that you're feeling pretty tired and that that's actually a pretty good sign from your body. Yeah. You want to go just, like, have some frozen yogurt with me over here? And when I say with me, oh, you can't have frozen yogurt because you can't do milk. Mmm, I'll have to think. Possibly a decaf coffee? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go do something, like, slightly datey, and then we can maybe go watch a movie at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Kiss. So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land acknowledgement. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.